When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about tackling a power day and discuss the common stumbling block of when other people try to undermine your good eating habits. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, the next time in L.A., if we can swing it, I would love to go with you on a power day. That would be wonderful. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I'm sure you can hear in my voice, yes. I'm a little under the weather. Um, <laughs> so I'm starting antibiotics today, but um, sorry. Oh, we'll feel better soon. Thank you. And speaking of coming to L.A., I wanted to let people know that I have set my book tour, I might add a few other places, but basically it looks like I'm going to be in New York City, Boston, L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, and D.C. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yeah. So those are in September. And if you want the details, they're at happiercast.com slash book tour. And uh, there'll be all the things about the, you know, where it is and if you need a ticket and the time and all that. So I hope I get to see a lot of people on the book tour. Yeah. Gretch, before we dive in, you'll remember in episode 118, we discussed the question, are you the difficult one? And we got a lot of response um, from difficult and non-difficult listeners, which was really interesting. 
Yes, it was fascinating to see people's responses. And Trin from Atlanta had a really good response. She pointed out, for me, the most difficult people are those who are easily offended. The difficult people I'm thinking of are friendly and caring, but as you get to know them, you realize they actually carry around a lot of resentment. They have long laundry lists of complaints, wrongs, grudges, and old hurts. Often they are alienated from various family members or old friends because they were once offended and hurt by them. I understand that forgiveness can be extremely challenging, but I wonder if people who are struggling to forgive others from their past or who are quick to make judgments and take offense in the present realize how much negativity they spread. I find such people difficult for two reasons. One, the negativity towards others brings me down. Like Alyssa said in her podcast, when you have a heart full of love, you try to love people in spite of or even because of their flaws. Elizabeth, she's listening to Happier in Hollywood. That was... Yes. Yes. You and Sarah talked about that in your very first episode, Heart Full of Love. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Um, And two, I fear that I will be the next to give offense without even meaning to. After hearing someone's grievances towards others, I suddenly realize that I will have to walk on eggshells with this person, and this is not a comfortable kind of relationship. So that's that's interesting that it's difficult if people are too easily offended. That's a kind of way of being difficult. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is I had a, Sarah and I had a friend like this. Um, we realized, oh, she's constantly getting offended by people and cutting them out of her life. Mm-hmm. And we go, well, it's just going to be a matter of time before she cuts <laughs> us out of her life. Um, yeah. And sure enough, a few months later, she cut us out of her life. So at least we were prepared. Yeah, yeah. So then some other listeners had questions to ask um, to identify difficult people. Samantha admits she's a difficult person, which a lot of people do not do. She writes, I want to start by admitting I am a difficult person. I do pride myself in accepting and owning this about myself, as I think owning our flaws is an important part of the journey. But then again, maybe me saying this further displays my difficult nature. (laughs) Questions I would add are, do you feel like things are always happening to you? Or do you feel as though you are the victim? Are you commonly told you are overreacting? Can you recognize feelings of jealousy? And do you need to be in control, but also blame others for not planning when things don't go well? I mean, I think these are outstanding, thoughtful questions. Yes, yes. I'm worried that that last one, it might be something I do, blame others when things don't go well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Joni also had a couple of questions to add to the list. She says... Do you think you are the difficult one? If so, then you are probably not. (laughs) So that's a good point. Yeah. And then two, she said, are the majority of your adult relationships long-term and drama-free? I have noticed the difficult one I am most closely related to is in and out of personal relationships. Several boyfriends and marriages has fights with siblings, does not get along with parents, constant conflict, and has a long resume with jobs of short duration. So that's a good indicator that you're a difficult person if you're constantly changing relationships and jobs. Interesting. I mean, I think that I think these are really, really thought provoking questions to understand ourselves better and to understand other people better. So thanks, everybody who wrote in on that one. Thank you. And now for Try This at Home. And Alyssa, this is a Try This at Home tip that's something you recently tried with great success, you say. Yes, and that is have a power day. Ooh, okay. So way back in episode number six, we talked about having a power hour. So you had a whole power day. 
Yes, I um, sort of unexpectedly had a day off of work and I decided just to do everything I could do that day. <laughs> like instead of, you know, just lounging around reading or something, I was like, let me just try to get everything done. Uh-huh. So in one day I had, I went to two doctor's appointments. Wow. Uh, I um, went and got the, one of my headlight bulbs was out of my car. Mm. Um, and it was the kind of thing where I was like, how am I ever going to get this fixed? Did you, when am I going to be able to take my car in? Every time I drove, I was convinced I was going to get pulled over, yeah. you know, because my headlight was out and I hate getting pulled over because I hate driving and, the, you know, it's it just the whole <laughs> thing. So every time I got in my car, I was totally stressed out. Um, but anyway, I went and I got that changed very easily. And then I also picked up my dry cleaning, less impressive of a task, <laughs> but still a task. Um, and it was just great to have this one day where I could get stuff done. Now, did you have a list that you were going off of? You know, I didn't. And I wish that I had, because I think if I'd had a list, I would have gotten like even two or three more things done. But I forgot like sort of what I needed to do. So that was unfortunate. So if this was sort of an unexpected day, how did you happen? How did you manage to have two doctor's appointments in one day? Oh, well, you know what I did is I had one set and I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, a lot of my doctors are in the same building. Mm. So after the first appointment, I just went to my other doctor's office and just said, Hey, can I get in today? I'll wait as long as it takes. And I just kind of planted myself um, <laughs> and I got in. So I was able to do that because their doctors are close to each other. Well, this I think is a great idea. And I and I think it's maybe even useful to just kind of keep a running list. Yeah. Because then, like you say, there's little things, nagging things that maybe you can't summon up sort of at the last minute. But if you kept a list, you would go. Um, and this is like from my book about habit change better than before. I would say this is an example of the strategy of scheduling, which is put it on the schedule. Like you did it sort of opportunistically, but somebody could do this once a month or, you know, see that like that they're going to be off work or, you know, for a week or whatever, for some reason and plan it and then just power through a bunch of stuff in one day. And like you said, when you you sort of set your mind to it and just kind of give yourself over to this is the day of errands. It kind of feels like a different thing than when you're just trying to work them into your your normal routine where they feel like incredibly burdensome. Yeah, Gretchen. And and, and it's just having this notion that like it's all going to fall into this day somehow makes it less burdensome. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for instance, one thing I didn't get done that day because I forgot about it was getting a new battery for my watch. So I haven't been wearing my watch now for like a year because I don't have (laughs) a battery. And it's like if I had known I was going to have this power day and I had had watch battery on it, it would have just very easily fit into that day. Right. Right. Well, and I think there's something kind of, it's like power hour. It feels more satisfying and more fun when it's like a thing, like, oh, it's going to be power yes. day and I'm going to get all this stuff done. And, and somehow you, it changes your attitude towards it and makes it feel like an accomplishment. But I will say this, if you're a rebel in the, my four tendencies framework, rebels typically don't like to schedule things in advance. They like to do things spontaneously and they may not like to keep a to-do list because the minutes it's, it's on their mm-hmm. list, they don't want to do it. So if you are a rebel, what you might say to yourself is, you know what, this is my could-do list. If I feel like it, these are the things that I could do. And then maybe one day you're like, hey, I'm going to play hooky from work or, you know, I'm just going to do this mm-hmm. and just bust out when you feel like it. A lot of times rebels do things when they feel like it. They can get anything done they want to do, 
so they just have to frame it differently in their minds so that it doesn't set off that spirit of resistance. Whereas someone like an upholder or a questioner or an obliger might like the idea that it's on the schedule. Oh, this is an efficient way to do it. Or, oh, I'm going to get everything done at once. That might appeal to the other tendencies. It certainly appeals to me. Yeah. And, you know, Gretch, you talked about in the intro, maybe you could accompany me on a power day in L.A. Yeah. And you and I have talked on the podcast about having an errand date. Yes. It, this is something that you could join in with somebody else on a power day, whether it be a spouse or a sister or a friend. And you could both do your power errands. Exactly. Because what do I do in L.A.? I'm really I don't really have anything to do except hang out with you. So instead of hanging out you know, drinking endless cups of coffee in your living room, we could just like be bustling around LA. That would actually be kind of interesting for me. I would like to see your doctor's office. We might as well do that as anything else. And then and then you might not even really notice that you're having a power day because you'd be distracted by having conversation. Yeah, yeah. When you're sitting there waiting for them to change your your, your headlight um, and make it fun. So, yeah. yeah. So- well, I'm going to start a list, Scratch, of things I'm going to do when you come in September for your um, for your book tour. I'll have a list of for a power day with you. Yes, because maybe your pristine new closet doesn't need to be clutter cleaned. So we won't have the fun of cleaning your closet. We'll right. have to do a power day instead. Yeah. Uh, so let us know if you try this at home and how a power day works for you and what you did with your power day. Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at com, Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, episode happiercast.com slash 122 for anything related to this episode. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretch, it is time for a happiness hack. And we've talked a lot about book groups on this podcast. um, And we will keep talking about book groups. And Jen wrote in with a great book group happiness hack. Yes, Jen writes, listening to episode 116, I was struck by Sarah's question about ways to prompt reaching out to friends. An old school friend and I came up with our own system of ensuring we spend time together. We have a two-person book club. Every two months, we read two related books and take turns choosing a theme, then get together to discuss what we've read and enjoy a catch-up and a day together in the process. Last time, it was my friend's choice of theme. He chose Great Female Writers and the novel Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, which, by the way, is like one of my favorite books of all time. I had to come up with a book on the same theme and chose The Nobody's Album by Carolyn Parkhurst. 
That's a book I haven't read. Once we'd both finished the books, we knew it was time to arrange to see each other. We've been doing this for just over two years now, and it works really well. It's flexible, so if we're too busy to read, we can delay our get-together. But we're always prompted to contact each other by the books sitting on our coffee tables. It's been so much fun and a great way to ensure a lasting friendship, as well as read some books I might not otherwise have found. Since starting this tradition, I've moved continents away, and our catch-ups have to happen over Skype. If we didn't have the book club, it's unlikely that we'd have found the time to call each other. But talking to my old friend and sharing our opinions on some fantastic works of literature is a lovely way to spend a morning and cheers me up on the other side of the world. And then she notes, about eight months ago, I chose Betterment as a theme. My book of choice was better than before. So excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Jen, for that. But I think this is brilliant. Yes. It, it, it checks so many boxes. It checks so many boxes. And I think one of the things that um, she points out that I think is especially worth noting is that, and we've talked about this, like you can have all the best intentions and you can feel so much affection towards someone. But if you don't have something that throws you together, it's easy for just the months, the months, and then the years to go by without having contact. And so if there's some kind of prompt or catalyst, like I have a friend where we get together every year on our birthdays because our birthdays mm, are only a day apart. Good. It just reminds me like, hey, I got to call her up because it's our birthdays. This is a way like, oh, every couple months you're like, hey, we got to schedule that. And so I think this is it's reading, it's connection. It's just, it's a great idea. When it made me laugh because we have so many emails about book groups and the problems with book groups. <laughs> and the fact is, if you limit it to two people, it does simplify all of the group dynamics and ensure that probably both, everyone in the group will have read the book. So it just kind of cracked me up. Yeah. Yeah, well, and this is another example of there's no right way or wrong way to do something. Sometimes people have an idea like, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it. It's whatever works for you. Two people, fine. That sounds like a great idea. So, Jen, thanks for this. Yes. What a great kind of angle on the traditional book group theme. Okay, Gretch, it's time for a happiness stumbling block. And this is a stumbling block that comes up a lot. Well, this stumbling block comes from Kelly. Kelly writes, Over the past few years, I have shifted my eating habits to a mostly plant-based whole foods diet, smoothies, and superfoods when possible. However, I do indulge intermittently. I don't try to eat this way to lose weight. I just genuinely like fresh food and feeling healthy. I have been basically the same weight for years and years. The stumbling block is that I live very close to my in-laws and we're around each other a lot. They eat differently from me and they are always questioning my eating habits in a disapproving tone. I offered them the truth as an answer that I just like this food, to no avail. I find myself compromising my meal choices when I'm around them to avoid the questioning and to feel accepted. How can I get them to stop doing this? I want to be able to feel like myself and comfortable in my own skin when around them. Mm. Yeah, so I feel like we hear from people constantly that the people around them aren't liking the way that they're eating (laughs) and are trying to change the way they're eating, often for the worse. You'd think people would nag you to eat for the better, yeah. but I think a lot of times people are nagging others to eat bad food. Yeah, I mean, and in, in fact, when I was writing better than before, one of the strategies is the strategies of other, it's called the strategy of other people, because it turns out that other people have a huge impact on our habits. And part of the reason is like this, where they will kind of chip away at a habit or question a habit or undermine a habit or make you feel bad about a habit. And so in a way, it's very hard to persist in that habit, even if it's what you really want, because of the influence of other people. Yeah. And I think the thing that she has to realize first and foremost is that 
her in-laws are probably never going to stop questioning Mm -hmm. her eating or trying to get her to eat other things. So it's like really the only thing she can change is how she reacts to them. Right. Exactly. I mean, that is 100 percent too. the only person we can change is ourselves. So what can she do? And I think one of the things that she can do is she can realize it's very likely not really about her. It might mm-hmm. very well be about their feelings about themselves, because what happens often when someone makes a change of a habit, especially if they do something that's perceived as healthier, is that other people begin to feel judged like, well, you're doing this. So do you think that what I'm mm-hmm. doing is wrong? Or they feel guilty, like, oh, you're doing that, and I probably should do that too, but I don't really want to, but it makes me feel bad to see that you're doing it. Mm. Or they feel inconvenienced. They're like, you know what, it's it's a pain that somebody's doing something differently. I want you to do what we're doing because it's just easier for everyone if everybody does the same thing. You know, like, no matter what you want, I want you to do what I'm doing because it's easier for me. And so just to feel like, well, they might be just caught up in their own inner psychic processes and it's just it's just coming out on her, but it's not really about her. Yeah, and it's like she has just as much right to eat what she wants to eat as they have to eat what they want to eat. It's like, you know, why should she change? That's You're getting to what I would call the strategy of clarity. There's the strategy of other people, and there's the strategy of clarity. And it sounds like Kelly really does have the strategy of clarity, which is to really know what you want and what your own values are. Because often we sort of kind of are muddled in our minds, or like it's not quite clear to us what value we're trying to uphold. But it sounds like Kelly really does have clarity in terms of what she wants and why she wants to do it. She wants to eat a certain way because these are the foods she likes and she also feels like it's healthy and she would like to eat that way. Yeah. And I mean, the truth is she should just, in my opinion, stop compromising, you know, and do what she wants to do. I mean, I have to say, even though I started this by saying they probably won't change their behavior and she should just know they're always going to be questioning it. It may be that if she just stopped compromising, they would finally accept, oh, that's just what Kelly does. And they would stop bringing it up. I think that's an excellent point. I think the more you kind of go back and forth, the more people push you. And then if you just if you're just like, hey, this is it, people adjust. And so that's one thing about habits. The more consistent you are, the, the more quickly other people adjust to whatever you're doing. And, you know, when we were this, like you said, this is really about what can she do because she can't change them. But just to like change the spotlight for a minute to the in-laws, I would say it feels festive and loving to kind of urge people to indulge and like say, hey, come on, you can do it. Or like, come on, you know, have, you know, have another glass of wine, have a piece of cake, whatever. But really, I think, you know, if people want to do something a certain way, just let them do what they want. Let them do what they think is right, according to their own lights. And, and don't try to mess with it so much, even if it's well-intentioned. A lot of times it doesn't make people in the long term feel happier or more loved um, when you're urging them to indulge. Yeah, it's like let people do what they want to do, especially if it's toward being healthier, for goodness sake. But why is it so hard to let people do what they want to do? Like that is just so hard to do. It is. It really is. Um, Now, you eat in a very specific way, (laughs) so you probably deal with this (laughs) happiness stumbling block quite often. Well, I I like your phrasing. Uh, It's very specific. Yes. I mean, I'm one of these crazy low carb people. Most people would say that the way that I eat is very extreme. I will link to the post where I talk about what I eat every day since people always ask me that. Um, But so I do eat a very low carb diet. And one of the things that I really appreciate, Elizabeth, about you, about mom and dad, about Jamie, about my friends, like when I go to book groups and we all eat dinner together, nobody 
says a word. Everybody, nobody comments on it. They don't say it's bad. They don't say it's good. They don't remark on it. They just let me eat what I want to eat. And when somebody's passing out dessert, they don't make a big deal of the fact that I'm not doing it. It's just like, oh, you want a piece? And I say no. And they're like, okay. You know, and that makes it so much easier for me because there's no conflict. Like, I don't feel like I have to defend myself or try to argue. And and I don't even have to talk about it because it's tiresome to talk about it. Just they're just people who just let me do what I want, you know, whether they think it's smart or they think it's dumb. They're just like, whatever, you know, this is what you're choosing to do. So there it is. And I do think to the point about not compromising because you're an upholder and that makes you less likely to compromise. People have been trained by you. <laughs> to let you do what you want, you know what I mean? Instead of encouraging you, hey, Gretchen, just have yeah. dessert this one time. They know she's not going to have it. Let's not go down that road. It's really true. Like the the more kind of forceful you, not forceful, but the but just the more decisive you are, I think the more quickly people accept. I think that's exactly right. And then I would make another point for the in-laws. If what they want is to have an easy, relaxed, close relationship with their daughter-in-law, where they all see each other a lot, if she feels uncomfortable or like her decisions are constantly being questioned or undermined, she's going to be less enthusiastic about spending time together. That's just the reality of it. That's for eating. It's also for things like safety. Like maybe you think your son or daughter-in-law is like completely over the top about safety and you think all these rules are ridiculous. But the fact is, if they feel like it's like you're not observing their safety rules, they may not just want to spend as much time with you. So one thing to think about is maybe you think it's silly, but in terms of a relationship, the less challenge you put up, the easier that relationship is going to be. Yeah. So thank you, Jen, for bringing up something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And uh, we hope that you can stay strong and eat what you want to eat, despite what anyone else around you says. And that goes for everyone else out there, too. Yes. And now a listener question. As always, you can call us uh, at 774-277-9336. That's 77-HAPPY-336. Or you can email us or email us a voice memo at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. So Gretchen, this is interesting. Usually when we have a listener question, it's a question from listeners to us. But today you have a question for the listeners. Yes, I do. So here, listeners, I would love to hear your thoughts, your insights, your experiences, your suggestions. My daughter, Eliza, is going off to college in a couple months. This will be a huge transition in her life and a huge transition in my life and in the life of my family. So I would love advice. So I would like advice on practical things like, you know, what to pack. Like somebody said, you know, be sure to send her off with a power strip because they have so many things Mm -hmm. they need to plug in. Obviously, that's a great idea. I was like, yes, I'm writing that down. Or what not to pack. Like, don't pack for every season. It's too much or something like that. Then another question is like relationships, like how often do you stay in touch? Mm. What about traditions? Like I'm thinking usually in our house, Halloween is a really big deal and she won't be home Mm. for Halloween. Or, you know, and we always take a picture of the two girls together and add that to our Halloween photo gallery. But what do I do about that? Or like we always dye Easter eggs, but she's probably not going to be home to do that. What do you do for a birthday? Is there something that you do if you're not with your child? Is there a good way to celebrate birthdays? What do you do if they're unhappy? How do you handle that? Are there mantras that you remember? Is there really helpful advice that you've heard? What about that Eleanor is home? Elizabeth, you were, you were home when I left. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and the funny thing about that, Gretchen, is I don't even remember it. <laughs> I, I remember taking you to college, and I don't remember anything after that, which leads me to believe Eleanor will probably be fine. Yeah. Um, but I would love to hear what the little you know, younger siblings should do if people have advice, because I'm, I'm sure I was upset at the time. But then maybe maybe they thrive because now there's sort of more sunlight on them or maybe maybe they don't like having all that spotlight. What about your spouse? You know, how does your spouse deal with it? Um, are there fun traditions? Like I heard this tradition from a friend of mine and I was like, oh, my gosh, I want a million traditions like this. So her daughter, who was in college, um, had this set of friends and my friend had become had become friendly with all the parents of these girls. And so when they were all away at college, every once in a while, I think like, you know, once a semester, they would get together for coffee, the mothers, and they would all bring seven of something kind of care packagey. So it might have been something like silly putty or maybe kind of a funny kind of candy or some stickers or just silly things that you would put in a care package. And then you would hand it out. So each child got a fun care package full of all different whimsical things. Oh, that's fun. Just like her friends did. And then it was a reason for all the mothers to get together just to see each other. And so I thought, well, that's great for me. It's great for her. It's really fun. It's actually making something easier. That's a, a lot of people say that care packages loom large in their lives. Is this true? I don't know. So I just want advice and suggestions. I don't want to like at the end of it be like, oh, it would have been so great to do this for her birthday. But I never thought of it until now she's a senior, you know. Right. I mean, one thing that's kind of poignant is in some ways, like when you say the Halloween photo, I mean, it, it may just be time to let go. I mean, because at, what, at some point you you stop dying Easter eggs, right? Like, I know. At least by the time they're 25. <laughs> um, I don't know. Some things may just fall by the wayside and now just be Eleanor things and not Eleanor and Eliza things. You know? I, I know. But how do I? Yes, I know. So that's part of what I need advice. of was like, how do you how do you let go? How do you let things end? It's a transition for everybody. It's funny, Eliza's school, they had an assembly. So they've had these meetings in the second semester that are about the transition to college, you know, kind of like all these things to keep in mind. And so they had a thing about their parents saying, don't be really upset if when you leave, your parents like turn your room into something else. This is apparently, oh. especially true in New York City, because there's so much emphasis on space. You know, if you don't have another child sharing that room, you might very well turn it into something else. So they were like warned, like, this is something that can happen and you just need to meet oh. it with grace. And I thought that was so funny that they were getting that kind of advice. <laughs> I do. I, I like that. Although I will say I'm very glad mom and dad kept our rooms forever until oh, yeah. they moved into an apartment. They... They kept our rooms yes. pristine. Yes. And it gave you a feeling that you had a, you had a real place, yeah. a permanent place. When we were in that stage of moving all the time, it was nice to know that there was one place that was permanent. Even if we didn't spend that much time there, it felt like that refuge. So again, it's like advice, suggestions, experiences, mantras, proverbs, uh, great advice that you got from your school or, you know, from your mom or from your kid. Uh, send it my way because I really, really need a lot of good advice. Yeah. I mean, the kids themselves, by the way, probably have a lot of good advice. Yes. If you're in college. Yes. That would, you, we want to hear from you. Yeah. What is, what do your parents do that drives you crazy? What are the great things that your parents do? Yes. That would be the, like the best. Let's get it right from the mouths of the college students. 
There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars. You're the demerit. Yes, so... Gretchen, today's demerit is a little philosophical, I would say. Oh. Um, not mm. something I actually did that, you know, like snapping at someone. <laughs> um, more of a thought demerit. So recently, Jack finished first grade. So he's going into second grade now. And on the last day of school, I was hanging around with some other moms and we were sort of lamenting, oh, it's so sad. First grade is over. It was so wonderful. And now it's done. And we were kind of, you know, kind of moaning and groaning. And this other mom came up and she said, oh, I never feel bad about something ending. I'm just happy to look on to the next thing. She's like, I'm just excited for second grade. Wow. And I thought, oh, my God, I want to adopt what she's doing and not what I'm doing. Like mm. Jack isn't sad first grades over. He's just looking forward to the next step. And yeah. what am I doing sitting here lamenting? I should get excited about the future, not sad that the past is done because the past is over no matter what. I can't change that. So why don't I reframe and be happy about the future instead of sad about something being over? Well, that's interesting because at Eliza's graduation, a mother said something like, I'm happy for them. You know, they're ready. And I was like, that's right. Like, think about the future. Don't regret the past. Because you're right. It's just reframing it because nothing changes. It is what it is. It's really how you view it is the only thing that can be different. Yeah. And I was just like, why am I wallowing? That's yeah. what really my demerit is for is there's no point <laughs> in my wallowing. I need to just instead I could spend all that wallowing time looking ahead and being excited about what's to come. So yeah. I'm really going to try to make that change. Yeah, that, that's a great demerit. Yeah, it's something to learn from. And I'm probably not alone in that demerit. I think a lot of parents um, suffer from the same syndrome. I, I feel exactly the same way. Yes, yes. I think it's a very common demerit. Yeah. All right, Gretch. Well, what is your gold star this week? My gold star, I feel like is very unoriginal, but it just has to be done because there's this is just a gold star that has to happen, which is I've got to give a gold star to Central Park. I may have given a gold mm. star to Central Park already. So I will pinpoint an exact part of Central Park to like get the gold star affixed to it, which is the waterfall in the ravine of the North Woods. Okay, you got to love Ooh. a park, a city park that has something called the North Woods. It's not even just yeah. woods. It's the North Woods. And it has a ravine. Um, it has a waterfall. And, you know, I just think mom and dad were in town for Eliza's graduation and I went for a long walk with dad. And in the space of one walk, we saw beautiful fields that were, you know, like, like meadows, old English style with the cropped grass. 
We saw a formal garden with flowers planted in shapes. We saw fountains, waterfalls, alleys of trees, outcroppings of rock, reservoirs, lakes. I mean, everything. We saw the playgrounds. Oh, my God. It's a playground. a million playgrounds. But this waterfall, it had like, there was no one in view. It was this waterfall, little wildflowers growing next to it, birds, you know, washing their feathers. And I thought, I am in the middle of New York City. I'm not a very far walk from my apartment. And here I am, and I might as well be, you know, like in the middle of nowhere in nature. And so I just have to say, I I never want to take it for granted. I never want to take it for granted that it's there. It's beautiful. It's free. It's this wonderful resource. I love it. And it just gets better all the time, too. It's so beautiful. It just makes me happy even just to think about it. Yay for Central Park. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Schedule a power day. Let us know if you tried it and what you got done. What did you accomplish with your power day? Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us. It always helps. And the two resources for this week that I'm suggesting is one, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I follow everybody back. So I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. If you're a LinkedIn user, just go to happiercast.com slash LinkedIn. That will take you to the right place. Also, I have these 21-day happiness projects, and I will put links to that in the show notes for this episode, 122. In 21 days, I think you really can make changes. So they're like, know yourself better, declutter your life, quit yelling at your kids, and there's some other ones. Some are paid, and then there's one that's free if you want to try it. So anyway, I will link to the 21-day happiness projects in the show notes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.